Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 47, The Benefit of the Doubt. My name is Jessie Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Our battle buddy moment for this episode is a Facebook review from Elizabeth, and she says... I can't say enough good things about Jesse and Simply Resilient Life Coaching. I left feeling empowered and confident. I'm ready to conquer whatever life decides to throw at me. You won't regret life coaching with Jesse. Thank you so much for that review, Elizabeth. Okay, are you guys ready? Today we are talking about the benefit of the doubt and what it means when we decide to give it to other people, what it means when people give it to us, why we do it sometimes, why we don't do it sometimes, how we benefit when we do, and why it doesn't feel safe to give the benefit of the doubt at times. So the definition of benefit of the doubt from Urban Dictionary is to give someone the benefit of the doubt is to default to the belief that their intentions are honest and not assume malice when there is uncertainty or doubt surrounding the circumstances. There were several different definitions online for this concept of benefit of the doubt, but I love that one the most because I love thinking about people's intentions and knowing that we're really mostly guessing when we're guessing what people's intentions are and to watch ourselves tend to guess negative intentions. And I also love, I love when people use the word circumstances. And so when there's doubt or uncertainty surrounding circumstances, the default of our brain, because the lower brain, our lower brain is the default of our brain. So our default when there's doubt or uncertainty is to assume malice. And that's so important to understand because when we give people the benefit of the doubt, that's overcoming that default setting and not assuming malice, but really assuming the best in people, assuming good intentions. So I want to give a couple of examples of when we don't give the benefit of the doubt, when we go with that default setting in our brain of assuming malice or assuming the worst in people as might might be another way that we say that. So one example that came to my mind pretty immediately was that sometimes we're not invited to things and usually we don't know why and we probably will never get to know why. But we tend to think that we weren't invited for a reason. They don't like us. They didn't want to include us. They knew it would hurt our feelings and they did it anyway. And that might be the case, but typically we don't know. And it's just fascinating to watch how our brain jumps to that as as the guess for the reason. Where there is a lot of room for it to be just an error or there to be another reason why they kept the group smaller or they didn't think we would be interested. There's room for those options as well, but we're pretty quick to believe the more hurtful reason. Another example when we might fail to give the benefit of the doubt is when someone says something potentially offensive. Now, there's definitely times when people are trying to be offensive, but I would say more often than not, and I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but I definitely have people accidentally say something offensive. And that doesn't make it right, and that doesn't make it like completely free from pain, but there's definitely added pain when we assume that they were trying to hurt us with their words. And so when we choose not to give someone the benefit of the doubt in that scenario. That is when we assume that they wanted to hurt us with our words instead of those other possible options that they didn't realize what they were saying when they said it, that they were distracted and thinking about something else and, you know, misspoke or that they completely don't have an understanding of the concept and didn't realize that they would be offensive. All of those while still saying something they shouldn't have said have way less drama and way less pain associated with them. All of those thoughts about what that person said, then assuming that they knew exactly what they were saying and exactly what it would do to you when they said it to you. 
Another example is when we are in traffic with other cars that we'll never get to have conversations with and they do something that is very frustrating or possibly dangerous. Another car around us does something to us that is a problem. It really is. But part of the reason there would be a problem is that they were being careless and unsafe and that's definitely happening out there. But I would say more often than not, it's that they are distracted or they had no idea that was a law or they didn't see you, right? But we are very quick to assume they saw me, they knew I was there, they didn't care, they were being reckless, they wanted to make me mad, they wanted to ruin my day, they wanted to make me late. One more example is when your husband or your child comes home late from something, you can quickly assume they were up to no good or something went wrong or they're lying to you with whatever they they say is their reason, or you can give them the benefit of the doubt until you have proof saying otherwise that there was something amiss about the reason that they were home late. And to just watch how your brain skips over needing the proof and goes straight to, I know something's wrong. So let's talk about the phrase benefit of the doubt and why we would give someone the benefit of the doubt. So I love that it's called the benefit of the doubt because it's kind of a confusing way to say it. What we're saying is that the we're doubting that they have malicious intentions. The doubt isn't about their behavior, that we're doubting their behavior. We're doubting that their intentions were bad. And I just hadn't ever really thought through that wording before. And then I love the word benefit because when I initially think about it, I think, oh, I'm giving this person the benefit of the doubt. So they get the benefit of me doubting their their bad intentions. I'm doubting that they have bad intentions, so I'm choosing to believe they have good intentions, even if their actions or their words were poor. But what I want to take it to a new level and show you how you are benefiting them, but truly, when you choose to give someone else the benefit of the doubt, you receive the benefit. It's really amazing, and it's such a gift you give yourself. So one thing I already mentioned in some of those examples is when we give people the benefit of the doubt, we reduce the drama of any given situation. And that's something I'm always on the hunt for because my lower brain loves to create drama and I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy the aftermath of drama. I don't enjoy the how taxing drama can be on me. And so I'm always trying to reduce drama. I don't think I'll ever live a drama-free life just because I don't totally think we're meant to, but I am on a quest to reduce drama in my life. And it's fascinating to see how much of the drama I'm completely creating for myself. So I want to get rid of any unnecessary drama. Maybe it's all unnecessary, who knows, but at least lessen it. So when I started studying this concept of giving people the benefit of the doubt, and I started testing it out, and I started to see how I felt when I didn't, and I started to see how I felt when I did, and I realized that I was receiving 90% of the benefit of giving the benefit of the doubt. I had less drama in my life. I had less pain in my life. I wasted less brain energy on interactions with people and on circumstances that were beyond my control and on guessing and wondering and judging and believing poorly in other of what other people were doing. It felt so good to assume that they had good intentions. Let's take a look at what happens when we give the benefit of the doubt. Basically, we interpret people's words and actions, which goes in the circumstance line of our model, through the benefit of the doubt glasses. It's like we're taking these lenses and we're saying, I'm going to filter what they're saying and what they're doing through my benefit of the doubt filter. And it changes the way you interact with people. It changes your experience of people and your relationships. Another way to look at it is you're basically taking 
people's words and actions as true, taking them at face value, not being suspicious of what they're saying. Now, that's not when someone says something potentially offensive, but this is more like you offer someone something and they say, oh, no, thank you. I'm not hungry. You know, whatever it is. And instead of wondering, oh, are they hungry? Are they worried? Are they, they're not telling me, you know, and you're kind of guessing what they're really thinking and feeling. You just give them the benefit of the doubt that they told you the truth, that, that you can take their words at face value. You can trust what they're saying, that they have good intentions for your interactions. So that's kind of two ways to look at what happens when we give people the benefit of the doubt. So I want to give you guys an in the trenches moment that came up recently in my life. All you military wives out there know the constant struggle of keeping track of all of the equipment, the uniforms, the hats, the patches, the boots, just everything that they have to keep track of that they need to wear when they go to work, where to draw weekends, especially when they're packing for training or deployments. There's so much to find and to keep track of. Anyway, one thing that gets lost a lot in our house and it's I still don't understand why is my husband's hat, (laughs) his cap. And so my husband's in the National Guard, so he's not getting dressed in his uniform every day. And that's probably why we lose the hat, (laughs) because he'll go a little while in between wearing it. But he's he goes and flies typically at least once a week, if not twice a week. And then he has his drill weekends and things like that. So he's getting dressed quite frequently, but not daily. And maybe about half the time he has to go get dressed to go to work he cannot find his hat. It's been sometimes funny and sometimes not of an argument between us. And he looks for it and he gets frustrated and he asks me if I've seen it and I get kind of frustrated. And when he's frustrated, I think he's frustrated with me. And then I get even more frustrated because I think it's not my job to keep track of your hat. It's your hat. You keep track of it. (laughs) So we're both having kind of these inner dialogues and inner frustrations with ourselves, with each other, really. And all that's happening is we're looking for the hat. And really nothing's gone wrong and he always ends up finding it and he always gets to work and everything's fine. So I wasn't loving how those interactions were going. And a couple months ago, this same scenario came up. It was a drill weekend and he couldn't find his hat and he is tearing the house apart. And I'm trying to just stay out of it because I haven't seen it. And sometimes he likes it when I help him look and sometimes he just wants to do it on his own. And so I was just letting him look and he had checked in with me and I let him know I didn't know where it was and that none of the kids knew where it was. And he was going to be late. And so he was getting really stressed and frustrated. And he finally was able to pull out an old hat that had the right rank on it. And, you know, he didn't like it as much, but it worked. And he ran out the door. And I thought, oh, there, you know, there we go again. And just that such that just that frequent frustration scenario that comes up for us so much. And I'm thinking, you know, your problem solving hat goes on and you're thinking, you know, we've got to get past this. We've got to have like a place. He always puts his hat or something. That's how we typically go into problem solving mode is what can we do differently to prevent this in the future? But I took a step back and I said, how can I think about this differently to help this go better in the future? You know how it all starts with our thoughts, you guys. So I decided the next time he needed to look for his hat, I was going to remember how I wanted to think and feel. And even more than that, I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this scenario. So this is where this comes in. So he had his drill weekend and a few days later he needed to go in to fly and he really didn't want to wear his old hat anymore. He wanted to find the new hat. So with plenty of time before he had to leave for work, he starts looking for it again. And I'm watching myself get a little bit of frustration starting to come up and I'm paying attention to it. I'm taking a look at what I'm thinking. I'm watching myself trying to guess what he's thinking and feeling. And some of my guesses were things like, 
he thinks I should find it. He wants me to help him look for it. Why can't he, you know, and then my own thoughts were, why can't he keep track of this hat? You know, all these thoughts were coming up for me that was bringing up that frustration and that drama. And I just listened to them and I calmed them down a little bit. And I remembered like, this is not a problem. He's just looking for his hat. Nothing's gone wrong here. And he kept looking and looking and he was in our closet, kind of moving a lot of things around. And I knew he was getting frustrated and, and I was watching myself or and this is the point where I usually get really frustrated with him, you know, but I was still feeling really, really calm because I had just been doing my thought work as he continued to look for the hat. And I knew that my goal was to give him the benefit of the doubt. And so when I walked in our bathroom and he looked up and he said, have you seen my hat? Kind of in an exasperated tone. And within just a matter of seconds, I was able to put on my benefit of the doubt glasses to filter what he said through that because what I wanted to do was take offense. I wanted to go to that old place where he thinks I should know where his hat is. He thinks I should have been looking for his hat. He thinks I should be keeping track of his hat, right? And he, that exasperation in his tone means he's frustrated with me right now and proves all those other thoughts. Instead, I quickly slipped on my benefit of the, benefit of the doubt glasses. I filtered his words through that and I immediately was able to come up with this completely new thought that I, it's so simple, but I just had never chosen to think it in the heat of the moment. And the thought was, He's just wondering if I've seen it. It was as simple as that. It was so completely drama free and it was absolutely true. I mean, honestly, I don't know if he was frustrated with me. I don't know if he thinks I should know where it is, but I've chosen to believe that he knows this is his responsibility and that he's not frustrated with me. He's just frustrated he can't find it. And when he asked me that question, even in his exasperated tone, I reminded myself he's just in his own model. He's frustrated with needing to find it, not me. And he's asking me this because he just wants to know if I've seen it. And I just said, no, I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. And he said, okay. And he went back to looking and I just went in the other room and I watched my brain just be so low drama and it felt so good that I didn't get caught up in all that nonsense. And when I was able to look at his sentence and his actions through my benefit of the doubt glasses, everything felt so much better. And it all played out the way it normally plays out, but I got to feel so much better. Because then he found his hat and then he went to work just like he always did. And he even left for work a little frustrated. And I just reminded myself, that's not about me. None of that's about me. We're so quick to make what other people are thinking, feeling, doing, saying about us. And mostly it isn't, you guys. And I know that's a really simple example, but I love to share simple examples with you because this is my favorite way to apply this coaching just on a daily basis are these simple interactions that we just want to be going better. We want to interact with ourselves better. We want to interact with people around us better. I don't know about you guys, but I love decreasing that drama in my life. And so that was a really valuable experience for me to see that on the outside, it might've looked like it played out the same, but on the inside, I was having a completely different experience because of my benefit of the doubt classes. So I want to remind you guys, I already said this a little earlier, but just that what people say and do is in the circumstance line of our model. But what people say and do is in the action line of their own model. And so when we remind ourselves they're just in their own model right now, what they're saying to us, what they're doing is all in the action line of the model that they're in. And that helps you remember they're having their own thoughts and feelings about the circumstance, which is I can't find the hat. So this is like my husband's model in that moment. And his circumstance line was, you know, location of hat unknown. (laughs) If you want to get really kind of robotic and factual, which I like to do sometimes. And then his thought about it was, this is so dumb. I should be able to find this hat. Why do I lose my hat? I should have a place I always keep it. You know, whatever his thoughts were about it. And then his feeling was frustrated. And then his actions were, 
move things around and kind of stomp around the house a little bit and ask everyone where it is and and have a frustrated voice, you know, and none of that was about me. And then his result was he found his hat, but he kind of had a whole experience in the meantime finding it. And one more layer to add to that is he may have even been spending some time thinking it'd be so nice if Jesse would keep track of my hat or why doesn't she know where it is? And that's totally fine too, because that is still his own model and his own thoughts about the situation. And it still means nothing about me because that's just his lower brain wanting the problem to be somewhere else than him. If it's my fault, the hat's missing, then it's not his fault. And that feels so much better to our lower brain. And so if he was indulging in lower brain thoughts, there's a good chance some of those thoughts came up, even if he doesn't really believe them. But in that frustrated moment, if he was indulging yeah, in those lower brain thoughts, there's a really good chance those those thoughts came up for him and it still doesn't mean anything about me and it still doesn't mean that I should find it or that he I need to stop him from thinking those things or anything. I just let him in, you know, live all his own models. I let him keep them. I don't take any of his models. I keep my models. It's amazing. And we don't even ever talk about it in models, by the way, because this is that's not his favorite topic. He doesn't like to think of experiencing his life in models the way I do. And that's totally fine. It only takes one of you to change the experience. And so along those lines, that's how we can really prove to ourselves with the model that whatever people are saying, doing, thinking, feeling is always just about their own models and it never means anything about us. Even if we're in the thoughts, even if we're in the words, them saying this is your fault, any of that, it still is only meaning something about them. Like when someone says to you, this is your fault, that is in their action line. That is in their own action line. It's in our C line, their action line. So they're having a thought like this isn't my fault. And then they're feeling defensive. And then they say to you, this is your fault, or this isn't my fault. And see how watching that play out, even if you're only guessing exactly what's happening in their model. And really, we always are guessing. We don't know what's going on in other people's models. But showing yourself that even if they're saying, this is your fault, it still is their own model and means something about them. That's a really powerful thing to wrap your mind around. Okay, so I want to spend a minute talking about why it's safe to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm saying this, I want to give a couple of qualifiers here before I go into this section. Like most things I'm saying, I'm talking about giving people the benefit of the doubt in everyday life, in pretty general situations, in healthy relationships, in relatively healthy interactions. I'm never talking about taking someone that you know is trying to manipulate you, abuse you, truly hurt you and say, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Those people, when you have knowledge of what they're trying to do to you, they do not deserve your benefit of the doubt. I'm talking about people who generally have your well-being at heart (laughs) and people who, you know, like I mentioned the traffic example, like you'll never have a conversation with that person in the car and you'll only ever be able to guess at what their intentions were. And so it's safe to give them the benefit of the doubt. So that's my qualifier. And what our brains are quick to do is to take those more extreme examples. Like I'll give you a funny example. I was talking to my daughter, Jane, about this topic that I was getting ready to record the podcast episode about, and I gave her that in the trenches example of her dad looking for his hat, and she laughed. She knows how that goes. That whole scenario plays out, and when I was done explaining what benefit of the doubt meant and that example and kind of all the, a lot of the, touching on a lot of the things that I was going to say about it, she said, she said, so you're saying that I should always give people the benefit of the doubt, and I said, well, I said, I, you know, I gave her a little bit of my qualifier of, you know, there's definitely times when it's not appropriate, but for the most part, you will benefit from giving people the benefit of the doubt. And then she said, so if a serial killer is walking towards me with a knife, 
I should just give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're heading into the kitchen to cook a chicken and make me dinner. (laughs) And I started laughing because that's exactly what our brains will do. It will take these really helpful, really useful concepts that apply in our lives very, very generally and um, in most situations, but not all. And it will say, well, what about this one extreme example? See, because it wouldn't apply here, let's throw out the whole thing, throw out the whole the whole concept. So watch your brain resist some of these concepts, this episode and others saying, well, I wouldn't be safe for me to do it in this example. And then you would just, that's just something I want you to know for yourself to be, to say, okay, here are 10 examples where it would be safe for me to give the benefit of the doubt and three where it wouldn't. And I'm never saying, I'm, I'm never saying all or nothing. I'm never saying it is always safe to give the benefit of the doubt, right? So just watch your brain and work through that a little bit. Okay, so the reason that it's safe, for the most part, to give the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to add this, even when we later find out that they were, you know, that they did have malicious intent. And when I say that, I mean in a really kind of a, a benign way. Again, not manipulative, not abusive. So I'll give you an example. We may have not been invited to something, like the example I mentioned in the beginning, and we decide to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, they forgot to invite me. They didn't know I wanted to go. They had other reasons for keeping it a smaller group. They didn't think I would be interested. You know, any of these reasons that we can interpret their non-invite through this, filter it through this benefit of the the doubt glasses. And then we may even find out later from that person or from another person that they don't like us and they didn't want us to come. You know, kind of what our fears were. That was our original painful fear that I didn't get invited because they don't like me. I didn't get invited because they didn't want me there. And it's still safe to give the benefit of the doubt because you got to feel better in that moment. You got to decrease your drama. And in that moment, you were still guessing as to the reason. Now later, you you gained more information and now you might change your tune a little bit and that's fine too. But even taking that even one layer further, even when you know they didn't want to invite you, you can still remind yourself of what we were just talking about, that that only ever means something about them, that they're in their own model thinking and feeling and doing certain things and then getting that result. What other people think about us is none of our business, truly. It's not their job to like us and it's not our business to be overly concerned about what, about what people think about us. Now, we, we enjoy being liked and we like to take actions that improve our relationships and that results in getting friends. So I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm just saying it is not your job to interpret what other people think of you. It is not your business to be overly concerned about why someone does or doesn't like you. You just live your best life, be exactly who you want to be in any given moment, and the people who are drawn to that will be in your life. Another way to say that that I love is, it's not their job to like me, it's mine. That reminds me that my work to do is to love myself, and that's my best chance at showing up as a person that other people enjoy being around. It's like the cupcake and the frosting in that, I like me and that's the cupcake and other people like me and that's the frosting because it feels good when other people like you. I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm just saying if we don't like us, if we're not taking care of our cupcake, we can go seeking a ton of frosting and whether it's there or not will be will feel very important if we're neglecting our cupcake. Okay, we've mentioned this a little bit throughout the episode, but I'm going to talk now a little bit about when we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to be really clear here that as soon as we have knowledge, facts, information, and proof that we should not give someone the benefit of the doubt, if we, then that is when we might take a different strategy with that person. And that's going to happen in your life. There's going to be lots of people who it's safe to give the benefit of the doubt to, and there's going to be people you identify 
that this person is not safe for me to give the benefit of the doubt to because they, they are untrustworthy. They are manipulative. They are, they take advantage of people who they know seek to give the benefit of the doubt to others. There are people out there who do that. There are people out there who can pinpoint you as a person who has a, a state of mind and a goal to give the benefit of the doubt to people around them. And then they can manipulate that and take advantage of that. So that is definitely going to be up to your judgment, up to your analysis and, and your call of who you would like to give the benefit of the doubt to and who you would like to not. But as you gain an understanding around this concept on, and on all the ways that it is very safe to give the benefit of the doubt, I wonder if your pool of people that you're willing to give the benefit of the doubt to will expand where maybe before you took time to ponder this, you might think it wasn't safe to give most people the benefit of the doubt. And I hope now you can see that it's safe to give, that it is safe to give most people the benefit of the doubt. And remind yourself that if you're only guessing on what they are thinking and feeling and what their intent what their intent is, that's a perfect opportunity to give the benefit of the doubt. Once you have new information, that is when you would change. It's kind of that concept of everyone around you is innocent until proven guilty. If there's any doubt or uncertainty, just experiment with giving the benefit of the doubt until that doubt or uncertainty is cleared up and see how you benefit in the process. One more word of caution is to not manipulate this concept and this tool for your, for yourself as the person giving the benefit of the doubt. For example, you might be in a relationship with someone and they might say, you know, I like you and I want to date, but I just want a casual relationship. And then you might think to yourself, well, I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt that that's not really what he means, but that he really wants more. Now that's a, a weird way to say that, but I was having a discussion with someone and they brought up that concept of sometimes when we're hopeful and optimistic and we give everyone the benefit of the doubt, we actually twist their words into something they absolutely aren't saying. And you'll recall that I mentioned earlier in this episode that the two ways we give the benefit of the doubt are we interpret their words through the benefit of the doubt glasses and we take people's words and actions as true at face value. So don't turn this strength into a weakness by overdoing it, by being so optimistic that you're actually altering what people say and what they mean to something that really favors you when they never meant that and they never said that. So our mission for the episode is to experiment with this, experiment with giving people the benefit of the doubt when you normally wouldn't. Really analyze your pool of people around you and some are going to be people that you know and have relationships with and some are going to be strangers. So just think about your interactions and think about kind of take a rough percentage of how many people in your life currently you're giving the benefit of the doubt to taking into account the people you regularly interact with and then taking into account kind of the strangers you regularly interact with, like the bank teller or the person in the drive-thru or the traffic surrounding you or, you know, customers at work or whoever it is. And then say, okay, I'm giving 30% of the people in my life the benefit of the doubt and the other 70 I'm being more wary of. And I want to try to get it to at least 50-50. You know, you kind of just set that goal for yourself of, I want to increase this. I want to give, I want to feel safe to give more people the benefit of the doubt because I've cleaned up my thinking about what they're doing, about what they're thinking, about what they're feeling. I'm leaving all of that to their own models. And as you experiment with this, you're really showing yourself the benefit you get, right? And so you're reminding yourself, I give people the benefit of the doubt because I have a better experience. They do too, but they tend to as well. But the main reason we do it is for what we get to experience. You could even start by just identifying one interaction 
one specific interaction that you normally wouldn't give the benefit of the doubt and just say the next time I'm in that situation, having that interaction, I'm going to put on my benefit of the doubt classes. Sometimes it needs to start with just one thing, not a wide sweeping. I give lots of people the benefit of doubt now. Just pick one and see what happens and see what it feels like. That's what it looks like to experiment with a new tool, a new concept. Okay, that's what I have for you guys today. I'm going to end the episode with a hot mess moment. Okay, this is a funny one that comes from a couple of years ago. We had a family photo shoot and it was just a few months before Brad's deployment in 2018. We wanted to get good family pictures before he left. So some of you know, I don't really swear. I don't, I don't really, I don't have a problem when other people swear and I, I don't never swear. I definitely swear sometimes, but I am not a big swear. I don't, I don't, I don't use curse words very much. And so my husband, who also doesn't swear very much, but you know he's in the armies around people swearing all the time, and he was an athlete, and just his lifestyle has led to him definitely swearing more than me. I, I used to never swear, like truly, truly never say any swear words. I remember in high school, I'll tell this little side story really quick. I was really discouraged and kind of angry at this one low point my senior year. And I decided that what I was going to do for myself in that low point to help me feel better was I was going to start using the D word because that was really going to be the way I was going to express my anger and kind of rebel. I don't know. Anyway, I know this story was probably sounding ridiculous to a lot of you, but for those of you that know me, you'll, you'll know where I'm coming from. Anyway, I never actually did use the D word in, in high school. So that gives you a little context into, I would truly would never, ever swear. But my husband, who doesn't, like like I said, doesn't swear, but swearing is not a big deal to him. He thinks it's really, really funny when I swear. And so over the years of our marriage, I sometimes will swear to make him laugh or cheer him up. If he's having a low moment, I'll just drop a quick swear word and he'll just think it's so funny and it'll it's a quick pick me up for him. And it's just kind of become a joke to us over the years because I never really let anybody else hear me. And now I have kids who are old enough to care. And anyway, so we're at this family photo shoot. We'll get back to the actual, the actual story now that you have a little bit of context. And we have been taking a lot of pictures and in and of, that in and of itself is already just a really interesting scenario because I don't know about your husband's, but my husband does not love family photo shoot day. I have to really get him to wrap his brain around it and, not threaten him, but remind him all that I do for him and that this is something that he does for me (laughs) so that he can have the right attitude. And especially when it gets to the end and we're taking, you know, individuals and funny pictures and things like we've got what we need and he's ready to get out of there. So we're at the end and he's getting antsy and we're taking some couple pictures, which are my favorite and and not his favorite. (laughs) And so we're taking some sweet couple pictures and he really doesn't like being serious very much. And so right Uh, during one of them, he reaches down and grabs my butt and I just bust out laughing and all my kids are standing there watching. And that's not totally outrageous. They've seen, you know, funny stuff, just regular flirting and whatever we do around the house. We kiss a lot, all the things, but it was just so funny to do it in that setting in front of the photographer and in such kind of a sweet, serious moment. And he just grabs my butt. So I'm laughing, but the photographer turns out hadn't seen it. And she said, oh man, what, what's, what's so funny? And I turned to her and I said, oh, 
my husband just grabbed my, and then I said the A word. And it was so hilarious because I did not mean to swear. And I don't swear in front of other people. I just swear for my husband every once in a while. And I don't know if I was just laughing or in the moment or something, but somehow my brain switched to, this is a moment when you would say a swear word. And so the photographer and all my kids just look at me and my husband just looks at me and I just slap my hand over my mouth. I couldn't believe I had said it. I'm Anyway, it was hilarious and we were all laughing and I told my kids, sorry, I try not to swear, but sometimes I do and, you know, I'm doing my best and because they were all kind of shocked. They'd never heard, they had never heard me swear before that moment. Anyway, it was a good time and some of you won't relate to that story because I'm sure a lot of you swear and I'm down with all of that. You guys do you. This is just what I have decided that I like to use very clean language and that works well for me and... (laughs) anyway, I just am laughing and remembering it because it was such a funny moment. So, okay, that's what I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, simplyresilient.net to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.